Hello, fellow Redbirds. Welcome to Bird Fans Forever, podcast number 39. Please follow us on our at Bird Fans Forever Twitter account to be notified of our latest podcast videos and participate in our fun polls. Also, go visit our website, www.birdfansforever.com, where you can find a list of our previous podcasts. If you haven't already done so, go visit Bird Fans Forever on YouTube and dunk on that subscribe button. YouTube has our archive of classic Redbird games that we've accumulated thanks to so many Redbird fans who've been kind enough to share their video libraries with us. We're still adding to our list of online games, and fans can go there and find an old game to watch. Our guest today is Illinois State University, was Illinois State University Athletic Director from 1987 to 1992. He went on to be AD for Wake Forest for 27 years, retiring in 2019. We'll be right back with Ron Wellman. Hello and welcome to Bird Fans Forever, episode 39 with Ron Wellman. Ron was my athletic director at Illinois State. Um, he started in the fall of 1987 and he left for Wake Forest, boo, in the fall of 92. <laughs> and so, Ron, thank you so much for being on. Well, thank you for having me, John. I look forward to talking about the good times at Illinois State. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. So, um, Ron was Dick Lucky, and Ron has re maintained a relationship throughout the decades. And that, and so when I had coffee with Dick, he was like, "Oh, you gotta get a hold of Ron." And so he set this all up. So we gotta have a shout out to Dick. We love Dick Lucky. And so, um, Ron, like we start with everybody, how'd you get to ISU? Oh my, <laughs> a long and winding road, I guess. <laughs> I started my career at Elmhurst College. I was the um, head baseball coach and assistant basketball coach, and believe it or not, assistant football coach. That is until my defensive backs broke the school record for most touchdown passes allowed, <laughs> and they thought maybe I should <laughs> start a fall baseball program after that. And also taught a number of classes and ended up being the athletic director when I was 27 years old at Elmhurst College. Had no idea what I was doing, uh, but it was a good training ground and I spent 10 years at Elmhurst and absolutely loved it. We thought we'd be at Elmhurst our entire life, uh, our entire career, because we enjoyed that, uh, that experience so much. It was a Division three school, but I will tell you, the Division three athletes that we had at Elmhurst worked just as hard as the Division one athletes that I had uh, at, at uh, Northwestern. So uh, that was the start. We were there for 10 years. Uh, then we had the opportunity to go to Northwestern University as, as the head baseball coach and every one of my colleagues uh, in, in the baseball world said, do not take that job. Uh, it is a graveyard. You will not have an opportunity to win there. They have the worst facilities. They have the worst support system. They have the worst, worst, worst. Uh, and of course, I took the job. Um, <laughs> after they all told me that, I had to take the job. So. We were there five years and fortunately had some success there. But quite frankly, I blew it out of proportion. Um, I, at that time, there was no recruiting calendar. And so I thought I should be recruiting 365 days a year. And it was a time when you did not recruit underclassmen. You waited till their junior year after their junior year to start the recruitment process. But I remember very well, I drove from Northwestern or Chicago to Connecticut to watch an eighth grade and freshman high school tournament. 
And I was the only coach there with the Kentucky coach, who was a good friend. And about the second or third day, he said, uh, Ron, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm doing the same thing you're doing. Uh, I'm getting all these names for four years from now. They're going to remember that Northwestern and Kentucky were the coaches that first showed interest in me. And so I'm doing the same thing you're doing. Uh, I said, what are you doing here? He said, see that right fielder out there? I said, oh, yeah, and, and I got my pencil out and I was ready to take his name. I thought he was going to give me a great recommendation about this phenom out in right field. And he said, uh, that right fielder is my nephew. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I've blown this uh, out of proportion. I immediately left the ballpark. I went to a payphone because we didn't have cell phones back then. And I called my wife, Linda, and said, um, i got to find something else to do. I, I can't. I can't stop doing this job the way I'm doing it. Um, and I'm not being the husband. I'm not being the father that I think I should be. So I got to find something else to do. And, and uh, a year later, I had the opportunity to go to Mankato State in Minnesota. My wife said, well, Ron, I, I thought your dream was to live in the South. Um, Minnesota is north of here. Uh, <laughs> And my line to her, which my lines aren't very good, but I said, sometimes you have to move north to move south. Made no sense at all. Right. <laughs> but we were at Mankato for, for one year. And then my uh, college uh, freshman basketball coach called me. And he said, Ron, Illinois State is open. And I know a guy there who is on the search committee, uh, Mike Hamrick. And would you be interested in looking at Illinois State? Well, heavens to Betsy. Uh, I leaped at that opportunity. Having been in the Chicago area for 15 years, I knew some, uh, quite a bit about Illinois State, um, knew what type of school, what type of community it was. Uh, so we applied for the position. And Jim Lessig, my basketball coach, played a huge role uh, in that process and recommendation of me. And uh, he had ac actually recommended my predecessor uh, at Il Illinois State, Bob Frederick. And oh, wow. uh, he was a good friend of Bob's, uh, recommended him and then recommended me as well. And we came to Illinois State and that was a dream come true to be at an institution like Illinois State. and in a community like Bloomington Normal. We just had a fabulous five years there. <clears throat> so in 87, you would have hired Larry Lyons then within a couple of weeks of almost getting the job, right? Because he starts in fall of 87. Well, I, I thought it was a little bit later. Our finance person uh, left after a few months and okay. uh, Larry came highly recommended. The only thing that I had a concern about Larry uh, he was such an Illini fan. Yes. We yes. didn't like the Illini at that point. But we, still don't. We, we still don't like <laughs> the Illini. <laughs> <laughs> I remember talking about uh, Illinois with him as much in the interview as anything. But Larry did a fabulous job. He fit right into our staff. Um, he was a brilliant finance guy, and I relied upon him completely. And then, of course, he elevated himself to the athletic directorship and uh, yeah. they had such success uh, under his 
leadership uh, with football going, as I recall, to the championship, championship. game and basketball doing well. He made some great hires. So uh, Larry, to this day, remains a friend and his wife, Maureen, um, is just a lovely person as well. So uh, that family means an awful lot to us and uh, they're, they're really good people. So then we also wanted to hit you up on um, recruiting a gentleman out of Peoria. Now, the funny thing is, I believe I have a picture of Coach Giacoletti and Joe on the same basketball team in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade in Peoria. Oh, I, I did not realize that. I, was, I know. And so, yeah, <laughs> I, did, I, we, I forgot to tell you that one off air because we normally prep our guests always with a we, we have good talk back and forth. So let's talk about recruiting Joe Girardi and then, of course, not recruiting, you know, Coach Jack, Coach Jack. I mean, you just left him out and left him to go play basketball. I mean, what was up with that? Couldn't that have really, been a package I, deal? I was recruiting Joe to get to Jack Letty. I really wanted Jack Letty, uh, but I knew that I didn't have a chance for him unless I recruited this kid, Girardi. I didn't know who Joe Girardi was, but boy, did I know who Jack Letty was. And he, he, was, he was the star to be. So uh, the recruitment of, of Joe was quite a process. Uh, I had never heard of Joe Girardi until after his senior year. I went to the state championship in Springfield. Uh, they play, played the state championship game in Springfield. And of course, I got there for um, infield practice. And goodness, this catcher looks pretty good. And I started timing his throws, his pop time to second base and so forth. And he had a good game and it was hotter than the blue blazes that day. And after the game, there were all kinds of college coaches there. And after the game, there were seven, I think, college coaches lined up to, to talk with him. And every one of them was giving them, or the Girardi family, their pitch about why Joe should go to their school. Heavens, by the time he got to me, I was number seven. Uh, <laughs> by the time he got to me, I wanted to get out of there. He wanted to get out of there. We both knew that we didn't want to have a conversation. Uh, so I just said, Joe, uh, what is your SAT? And he told me and he said, what, what, would you be interested in, in Northwestern? He goes, yeah, I think I would be. I said, okay, I'll call you later. <laughs> I, I, knew it, I tried to sell him then that it would be a lost cause. So he came and uh, he visited Northwestern and believe it or not, the admissions office, Joe was a, an excellent student, uh, just a tremendous student, but because it was late in the year, late in the admissions process, the Northwestern admissions office said, you can't have him Ron. Um, you, you, you just can't have him because we don't have any, any more spots available. And I said, I'll tell you what, uh, this kid is going to be superb. He is going to be excellent as a baseball player. He's going to be a good student too. And you can, I, I remember telling the, the liaison for the athletic department and admissions, I said, you can have my job if this kid doesn't pan out. <laughs> That's how convinced I was that Joe Girardi was going to be a great player. Well, Joe ended up being a two-time All-American. He was a two-time academic All-American. Um, he was just a fabulous player for us. And 
uh, we still stay in touch. We talked a couple times last week. Uh, last year after uh, he was released by the Phillies, he came and stayed with, he and his family came and stayed with us for four days and we watched uh, his son play baseball in a neighboring town and he's just He's just one of the best people you will ever meet. Uh, he, he just cares so much about his players. When he was managing the Yankees and the Phillies, we would talk and he would not only talk about their performance on the field, he would talk about the players' families and, and um, how involved he was with them. And he really cared about his players. He's just a unique person and I just, as that whole Northwestern group has stayed together and he's a big part of that. And uh, I just love the guy. He's, he's a, a dear friend. So talk about as an athletic director, I found that interesting. If you're recruiting, especially the, the spring sports, right? Like baseball and softball. I know softball's played in the fall too, but you know, and track, some of those student athletes aren't getting offers until very late in their senior year. How do you guys get them in? Because if Northwestern was full and couldn't accept anybody, you have potential to, you left, I mean, Northwestern could have Joe Girardi, which arguably could be one of your best baseball players, or at least in the top five all-time baseball players ever to go somewhere else, right? So how do you, as an athletic director, help manage that? Well, you have to develop a relationship with your admissions office and, and, uh, there are different schools have different approaches and Wake, For Wake Forest is very similar to Northwestern in that there are so many applicants and so few s spots for those right, applicants right. Um, that you have to work early. And, and fortunately today, other than the transfer and the transfer portal, um, most of the high school kids are making their commitments even before their junior year. Now, that, I think that's going to change with some recruiting calendar adjustments, but the early commits, uh, we, we have a friend here in town uh, who committed to uh, another school in the ACC, their child <laughs> to another school in the ACC after his eighth grade year. Uh, the best wow. player on the, the best player on a baseball team, Nick Kurtz, uh, uh, one of the two or three best players, and one of the two or three best players in the ACC committed to us uh, as an eighth grader. Uh, so wow. you just, you just, it, it, it is completely out of control to tell you the truth uh, oh, yeah, when you're yeah, yeah. when you're recruiting that early and what is the what does the commitment make or, or mean um, to right. the recruit as well as to the school you, you hear about all of these verbal commitments early on whether it be their eighth grade freshman sophomore year and then all of a sudden they're going somewhere else well did the school back off did the player back off it's hard to say but right. you know, those early commitments uh, typically are uh, not as strong as they would be a little bit later, but uh, the process continues much, much earlier today, um, which makes the, um, in terms of admissions, much, much easier. The challenge okay. today uh, is the transfer portal, and there, there are such late commitments in the from the transfer portal. Um, our basketball team uh, is still recruiting transfers, and, and here it is uh, close to July or the middle yeah, of June. Yeah. And I don't know that our roster has been finalized yet 
or not. Um, we just had a kid, a uh, great player, uh, go into the portal a couple of weeks ago. So now that kid, that player has to be replaced. So right. um, it's, it's a time in college athletics that there's not as much stability as there used to be. And, yeah. and it's difficult to build a program today, much more difficult to build a program. You just build a team year after year after year. But the, the days of like a Tim Duncan at Wake Forest coming and staying for four years, even though he had opportunities to leave every year, uh, those days are, are probably history. It's going to be a very rare situation when an athlete comes and of that caliber and stays for four years. So Ron, a lot's changed in the landscape of uh, college sports since you left ISU. For the last five to seven years, it's just been accelerated in, 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 in hyperdrive. Uh, as an AD, how, how do you prepare for things like nil, all the, the changing regulations, the transfer portal, and, and, and how do you prepare the school and, and, and the athletic program for this? Well, fortunately, Steve, I don't have to. Uh, I know. <laughs> the problem now. I can tell you, uh, I, I bet a hundred people have told me that my retirement was perfectly timed because uh, we, we had transfers before and, and it, revenue issues and all that. But everything that has hit the fan since my retirement, not that I kept it under control at all <laughs> right, right. my retirement, but the challenges today are unlike anything I have ever seen. We, we always had major issues when, when I was administering, but it typically was one at a time, uh, one issue at a time. Now, with realignment of conferences, the NIL, the revenue production, the TV contracts, the transfer portal, it just goes on and on and on. And it's all in, in COVID uh, a couple of years ago. Right. And all of those issues are hitting at one time rather than singularly. And, and that's the challenge that uh, athletic directors and athletic departments have today. The, the administrators today are dealing with so many major issues concurrently that um, I'm glad I'm not doing it. And uh, those who are doing it, I think are doing a very good job. Uh, the guy that we have at Illinois, or, at Illinois State. Uh, yeah. We don't have anybody now oh, in Illinois guys, State. We have an intro. Back to yeah. my Redbird days, but uh, um, they're, they're doing a good job and staying on top of it and trying to anticipate what the future holds. Uh, we were talking uh, before this session about what's happening in California. What, what's going to happen in the other 49 states? Are we going to have 49 different or 50 different laws, a different law in every state regarding name, image, and likeness? Um, if that happens, how are we going to, to handle all of that? And of course, there's a lot of pursuit with the new NCAA president uh, about uh, Congress getting involved, and that in and of itself is frightening. Um, but right. do we need that to have one standard um, NIL approach uh, across the nation? We probably do, but the details of that are going to be 
uh, cumbersome and it's going to be challenging. And are all of the states, I guess they have to relinquish that authority to the federal government if the federal government decides to get involved. Um, but each state, uh, you hear all kinds of rumors about what is happening in Alabama versus California and where the, the difference is going to be and how are the athletic departments going to deal with those differences in each and every state. So the challenges are not diminishing, they're probably increasing as we go forward. And how do you even like, you had the differences between the states, but like how do you get the group together, even self-regulate, right, as an NCAA nil? It just seems like it's a free-for-all right now and almost anything goes. Well, um, that's because it is a free-for-all. <laughs> <laughs> when the NCAA lost the uh, Supreme Court decision a, a year or so ago, nine to nothing, uh, that opened Pandora's box. And I think it probably caused the NCAA to back off. Um, the, the NCAA today seems to be more concerned or very concerned about suits that might be filed based upon the decisions that the NCAA makes. So um, I've had many coaches tell me that there, there essentially are no recruiting rules anymore uh, and that um, you, there may be rules, uh, but are they being enforced uh, across the board? Uh, probably not as effectively as anyone would like them to be. So um, the NCAA has got to find itself right now and hopefully the new president will play a strong role in that. But they, the, the, organization, the organization is trying to represent thousands of schools. And you think about Division Three, Division Two, II, Division One. just look at Division One, and the number of schools is 360 or whatever. But the budgets in those at those schools range from over two hundred million dollars uh, for a department down to maybe fifteen million dollars. Well, philosophically, there are going to be many, many differences uh, at those <laughs> schools. So, how the NCAA hoping to um, create a level playing field is just impossible to do. So, what the what the future holds remains to be seen. And of course, there are a lot of people who are recommending that the Power Five conferences uh, leave the NCAA and, and do something on their own. I don't know that that's the answer. What we need to do, in my opinion, is make the NCAA stronger um, and, and give them the authority that they can administer uh, Division One in particular effectively. Um, the NCAA does a great job of putting on national championships and, and I have the, uh, the fortune of going to Omaha tomorrow with our baseball team. That will be a great experience uh, for every one of our players and, and all of the fans in Omaha over the next 13 days. That's what the NCAA does exceptionally well. Uh, enforcement and those types of areas um, are a bit more questionable in the way the NCAA has handled itself in the most recent past. So speaking about putting on championships, you were on the uh, men's basketball championship committee, right? 
I was. Uh, I was on it from 2010 to 2014. I chaired the committee in uh, the 2014 season, and uh, it was a fabulous experience. Uh, I, I was on the baseball committee in the late 1990s, and those two committees are, were so enjoyable. Um, it takes a lot of time, and you have to be committed to it, but uh, the, the, just the opportunity to interact with the committee members and be involved with the NCAA basketball or baseball tournaments was one of the highlights of my career. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that experience. So, so is it true that the reason you got on that committee is because you hosted the MVC championship in 1990 <laughs> and had and had to deal with the fire marshals and stuff like that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. We would never violate anything. Justin, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, but yeah, the, that was the stepping stone that led to everything else. There was that wasn't that one of the best athletic experiences, whether it be players or uh, fans, that had to be the highlight of, of my time at uh, Illinois State and, and probably still one of the highlights that the school has ever experienced. When we, we hosted that in a somewhat new Redbird Arena <laughs> and we had uh, capacity crowds there, the, the people there, the, the Missouri Valley Conference staff, they were just elated with the way Bloomington Normal and Illinois State responded and hosted that tournament. It was it was just a fabulous uh, event. Maybe maybe I feel that way because the Redbirds won that tournament. <laughs> that, that was a major factor for me, but it was so much fun. That entire weekend was just a great weekend. So, so John likes to tell a story like the, the parade of students, right? Talk about that, like how you guys got people in standing room around the, the perimeter. I mean, it, I mean, it was amazing. Because you guys had put tape down with numbers up on the concourse so extra tickets could be sold, right? And so, I mean, the request had to be coming in like crazy. They were. Steve, i got to ask you, is the statute of limitations expired? <laughs> I, I think it's expired, for sure. <laughs> I already, off air, I've already told Ron that the coaches were giving us a dollar so that we could get our cream cheese or peanut butter coming <laughs> off the bus. So there was NCAA violations going on. Ron just didn't know about them. So. That's all right. We got Dan Butterly, who you know from Mountain West. He shot a three over in Europe, and there's another NCAA violation, and he's on the NCAA violation rule committee. You did. You guys didn't tell me when you asked me to be on this show that you were just going to talk about NCAA violations. No, no. A dollar here, a dollar there, a peanut butter sandwich here and there, and, and now over capacity uh, Redbird Arena. We we were determined not to turn anyone away uh, for yeah. those games, and and I don't think we did. Uh, it was just a raucous environment. I I remember I was sitting at the scorers table for the championship game. And of course our students, they were just rowdy and raucous. They stood the entire game. And the fans of our opponents 
complained that our students were standing and they could not see the game. <laughs> and their faculty rep came over to the scorer's table and I was sitting with Tom Shoup from Wichita State. And uh, he was the AD at Wichita State. And Tom and I were sitting there and the faculty rep came over and he was just harassing and haranguing us about the students and how unruly they were and, and they need to sit down so our fans could see the game and on and on and on. And Tom, Tom Shoup looked at him and said, sir, he said, this is a basketball game, not a basketball game. <laughs> <laughs> can stand if they want to. And I, I, I'm glad he said it rather than me. Uh, it, uh, it was, it, what an environment that was. And for us to win the game in the manner that we did and Bob Bender's first career uh, after some controversy the year before, it was just a, a great comeback for the Redbirds and really galvanized the Redbird Nation uh, to go forward. So talk about hiring Bob, right? We've had, we've heard it from Larry. We've heard it from Coach Lowenthal and how after Bob had got the job, they all went to Larry Lyons' house late at night on that, you know, he'd come in. And so talk about the process of hiring a new coach. Wait a minute, before we do that, you said that Bob went to Larry Lyons' house late at night? After you guys had hired him. Yeah. He he uh, is coming into Chicago and yeah. calls Coach Lowenthal. Coach Lowenthal is supposed to be going to get a recruit and says, "Hey," because Coach Lowenthal hits up Coach Bender at the Final Four and says, "I heard you're up for the job." And he goes, "I might be interviewing for it." He goes, "Well, if you get it, I want on your staff." And he uh, goes, "If I get it, we'll talk about it." I remember so, Jay's interview with you and remember that story. The, the, the thing that I'm concerned about, John, is that I wasn't invited to that. <laughs> Larry, I, just, I just praised Larry in the last session. I didn't know that, that I was disinvited or not invited to his party. So everything that I said about Larry, um, just cancel it. The things I said about Maureen, keep those. But Larry, uh, if he didn't invite me to that party, I didn't know there was a party over there. <laughs> yeah, they had... Uh... Because, you know, Larry and Jay knew each other in high right. school. And so, right. From so, Pontiac. From Pontiac. <laughs> yes. So, you know, so Coach calls them, and they're all heading over to Larry's house. And so, you know, he drives up from Quincy. And, and so, but, yeah, let's talk about hiring, a, a, you know, a coach. Yeah. So how did well, that Bob Bender, of course, had a tr uh, really strong name in the community, having uh, gone to Bloomington High School and and then uh, tran or not transferred, went to to uh, Duke. He transferred from Indiana, Indiana to Duke yep. and played for Mike Shashesky. And of course, I had no idea. Um, I knew who Mike Shashesky was, but had no relationship with him uh, at all. And so, but Bob became um, a strong candidate for us. And I remember uh, I wanted to go see a Duke game just to see how uh, Bob interacted with the team. And that was something that I tried to do when hiring any coach, just see them in their venue uh, coaching their team. I, I, you could just, 
learned so much about them and the way they interacted with uh, their players, the fans, the officials. That, that was important to me. So I went to the, the Duke Blue Devils were in the NCAA tournament uh, in New Jersey. And so I told Bob I'd like to come to, to the game. And golly, it was a miserable night. It was, it was cold and rainy. And just, fortunately, the game was inside. So just had to right. from the cab to, to the arena. Um, and I watched the game and, and then left after the game and, and uh, came home, uh, got home to um, Bloomington uh, you know, early the next morning. That afternoon, Mike Krzyzewski called me. Um, and he said, Ron, I'd like to talk with you about uh, Bob Bender. And I said, well, Mike, we can do this another time. You're, you're in the tournament. You're preparing for that. I know how busy you know, of a time that is. So I'm not going to make a decision until um, a few days or later. And Bob will certainly be a part of that uh, process. <laughs> and Krzyzewski's response to me was, Ron, I've got time. Um, he said, I know we play tomorrow, but we've done this a number of times. We, we <laughs> so he talked with me for over an hour about Bob Bender um, and how important Bob was to him and his program, the type of person Bob was, the type of coach he is, the type of recruiter uh, he was at Duke. Um, and he just sold me on Bob Bender. And, and uh, um, so Bob came and interviewed, and we had a tremendous interview. And for me, part of it is a personal connection. Anybody that's applying for a job like at Illinois State, their resume is sparkling. Uh, you know, they've won, they've had success, they've done all of the things that you would want them to achieve prior to taking a job like the Illinois State job. Uh, but I want to know if I can connect with them, if our values uh, are the same, if they're going to treat the players the way they deserve to be treated um, and, and still drive the players. Uh, what type of personality do they have? Are they going to fit into the community? Are they going to be academically oriented? How important is that? It's just a, a slew of issues that you want to find out about. And, Boy, Bob checked every box uh, when when uh, I interviewed him, and it was a quick decision to to hire Bob Bender to be our basketball coach. And thank goodness uh, he came because that first year, as you well know, John, was a very good year, and we end up winning the Missouri Valley Conference uh, championship in Redbird Arena. So that was a, a fabulous year, and he went on to do. Uh, more good things at Illinois State, uh, even though I wasn't a part of it after yeah. a couple of years. He was just a tremendous representative for uh, Illinois State. And I talked to Gerard and Sonny last night, Randy, and of course we wanted to thank you because you allowed us to interview the coaches also, which at the time I have gone back trying to look through the media, I can't really find players started interviewing coaches under the auspice of the athletic directors late 90s early 2000s but we did this in 88 uh 89 and so you had us sit with coach Molinari and I forgot the other two that interviewed also and uh then you brought us into your office and after each one of them what would you think what would you think whether you took that into consideration or not we thought that was very we still again talk to that to this day so we appreciate that thank you 
Well, I did take it into consideration. Uh, considering the experience that you were coming from, uh, it was very important to get the players buy-in. And, and I knew that uh, the players would ask penetrating questions of the candidates uh, about the relationships and uh, what the expectations were going to be of those players. So I depended upon you uh, to get that information uh, because you were not going to leave any stone unturned uh, <laughs> during that process. And, and I thought that you were in a position to really evaluate the potential uh, coaches uh, very thoroughly. And, and uh, you did that. Uh, and uh, so, yes, I definitely uh, took your feedback uh, very seriously. And your feedback about Bob, as I recall, was very positive. And, yeah, and, we, we loved Coach. Yeah, I mean, from the minute it started, I mean, it was... Okay, Ron, we just talked about hiring Coach Bender, but you were allowing us to be part of the interview process, but you said what I had come from. So why don't you talk about the previous coach, right, Coach Donawald, and then the business decision for the athletic department to make a change in direction. Now, that was a losing year, 13 and 18. I broke my foot in that my junior year, and we, we struggled. And so... Explain to us, kind of talk us through your thought process of why you decided to make a coaching change. Well, you get right to the penetrating questions, don't you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we went it all the way to segment three. I mean, well, you know everybody would want to hear why the decision. I mean, this has been speculation for 30 years. Well, maybe it would be best if we just let the speculation. <laughs> it, it is your podcast. If you want to leave it to speculation, we can move on. No, no. Um, coaching is, is more than uh, your activity on the floor. Uh, it's how you represent the university, how you treat the players. As I said, um, it, it was obvious to me that you guys were having difficulty, and, and not that you shouldn't be driven. I, I think coaches should drive their players, and, and the only way you're going to reach your potential or realize your potential is for you to be challenged. Um, how you go about challenging those players is really, really important. And uh, it was fairly obvious to me that uh, the potential may not be reached uh, as quickly or as effectively as we would like uh, with the manner that was uh, being used to challenge the players. And, and uh, I just felt that the future was not as bright as we felt that it should be uh, under, under that scenario. So it was best to make a change. And, and that was not an easy decision because Bob had had an awful lot of success until that last season. Um, he, I think, had had nine or ten years prior to that that I think all of uh, those years were winning years. But the, the job of an athletic director is to project the future. Um, and what, what does that future look like and can we do better? Uh, can we do better not only on the floor, but some in some other areas as well? And I felt that uh, we could and we should. And so that was the, the reason for uh, the decision being made. So one of the things when you and I talked about that I loved hearing was, and I'll try to get this right, you'll have to correct me. So you get to Wake Forest, 
You said after nine years, you were the most tenured athletic director in the ACC, correct? That's correct, yes. Okay, and then if I get this right, it was at the 12-year mark, you were the most tenured athletic director in all of the country. I don't know that it was at 12 year. It may have been later than that. But, okay, okay. Um, yeah. And then you went third 27 with Wake Forest. Correct. Right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I, I'm, I'm at least got two thirds of it right. So <laughs> talk about being an athletic director. I mean, you're in the ACC, which is a great conference. You're one of the 10 year, right? Did you have, I mean, was there committees inside of the ACC? I mean, how did you guys, you know, because you guys are basically self-regulating the ACC as athletic directors, right? Yes, um, it was um, an easy transition because of what I learned at Illinois State, and and um, I believed in in the way we were administering at Illinois State, and we tried to take that approach to Wake Forest as well. Uh, and it was a tough uh, transition at the same time because uh, the conferences were different. There were new people. I didn't know the people. I uh, was thrown into an environment that uh, I knew one person, Larry Gallo, on our staff who coached against me. He was the Notre Dame <laughs> baseball coach and Larry and I were good friends. And so that was very helpful. But um, you know, when you go into a situation, a new situation, and you don't know anyone, and it's a completely new environment, uh, there are challenges associated with that. But the university administration, the athletic department uh, personnel, uh, whether it be coaches or administrators, the athletes, they were all so gracious and welcoming um, that it really, really shortened my uh, learning curve quite a bit. Uh, we had a great commissioner in the ACC, Gene Corrigan, and he welcomed me and really made my life easier. I'll, I'll never forget, I, uh, I was the chair of the athletic directors my first year in the ACC. Really? Not, I was elected. Um, <laughs> it was, they did it by alphabetical order, and W's were up next, and so Wake Forest was, was uh, the next chair. And, and my first meeting... Uh, maybe not my first meeting, chairing the, the committee, we met with the basketball coaches. Well, Dean Smith and Mike Krzyzewski were uh, a part of that group, and I'm chairing the meeting, and I'm looking at these guys thinking, holy mackerel, what am I doing here? <laughs> these are two of the icons of college basketball, and I'm chairing a meeting with them. Well, as luck would have it, uh, Mike and Dean had a disagreement uh, in that meeting. And they would go back and forth. And Gene Corrigan, our commissioner, was sitting right next to me. I had no idea this day. And Gene would say, tell them this. And so I would repeat whatever Gene told me to say. And then Mike and Dean would go at it again. And Gene would say, tell them this. And so I would repeat. This went on for, I think, 10 or 15 minutes. And finally, Gene got mad and he slew of expletives to me about what was going on and he left the room. Now, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And so after a, a little bit longer, I just, I knew we weren't going to resolve this issue. And so I finally just said, uh, 
uh, Mike and Dean, uh, the athletic directors, have heard your, your statements and your pleas. We're, we're, we're starting to repeat ourselves. We will take this under advisement <laughs> and get back to you and move on. <laughs> so that was my first experience, and I don't know that I handled it all that well, but uh, those two guys ended up being very, very uh, supportive and helpful uh, to me in, in a number of different ways. I'll, I'll never forget, we were, <laughs> we had a good basketball team. We had Tim Duncan and Randolph Childress, and we were ranked number one in the country. And uh, <laughs> in North Carolina was ranked number, I think they were ranked number four in the country. And North Carolina was coming to Wake Forest to play the opening game in the ACC regular season. And Dean didn't typically travel with the team. He came, drove by himself, and, and arrived at the arena. Really? A little bit later. Yeah, that was just, that was his routine. It worked fairly well. So, well, uh, got, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Dean comes into the arena in the back door, and I'm standing there. And there must have been 20 media types just converged on Dean, you know, number one <laughs> versus number four. What do you think of it? On and on. And on. So I'm leaving and, and getting away from all of this. And Dean says, Ron, Ron, I need to see you. And he didn't need to see me. He just wanted to get away from, from the media. And so I stopped and we came, he came over and we're walking down the hall. And uh, I said, Coach, this is going to be a great game. You know, we're undefeated, number one. You're undefeated, number four. Just going to be a fabulous game. He said, no, it's not. I thought, well, you doggone, how could you say something like that? You think you're going to beat us that badly? He said, we're not ready for this. Uh, you're, you'll beat us badly tonight. He said, well, by the end of the year, we'll be ready for you. But we're not ready right now. And I think, oh, wow. I think at halftime, we were up on them by over 20 points, as I recall. Wow. And the man was brilliant. Uh, he yeah, was, yeah. That, that gives you an idea of, of what he could see on the floor that no one else could see. He, he was just, he was absolutely a brilliant coach. And uh, a lot of Wake Forest fans <laughs> have, have different feelings. Of, of, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I will tell you, it was a privilege uh, to be in a conference with Dean Smith and Mike Krzyzewski and Bobby Crimmins. And you could just go on and on with the coaches that we got to watch work. And I loved going to games that we played those coaches and just watching them work. Uh, I said earlier that I enjoy going to, and I tried to always go to a coach's games if they were a candidate for a position uh, at our department. And I love watching those, even though they weren't candidates uh, for right, a right. position in our department, I just love watching them work and how they, whether it be interacting with their players or working the officials. And, and Dean and, and, and Mike Krzyzewski were very good at working the officials. <laughs> they were masterful at what they did, and it was fun watching them. Ron, this is where we wrap it up. We turn the floor over to you. You're, my daughter's an attorney down in Miami, and I like to, you know, closing statements. Could be arguments, but closing statements sounds better. This this might be the longest uh, session. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
I, I tell you, uh, we have been so blessed uh, in our career and, and uh, the opportunities, whether they be at uh, Elmhurst or Northwestern or Mankato State, Illinois State, Wake Forest, um, we could not have been more blessed. Um, I, I told uh, a group at my retirement uh, event, uh, my closing statement was that Lou Gehrig, um, in his final speech, uh, said that he was the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I think I could give Lou Gehrig a run for that uh, <laughs> luckiest man on the face of the earth when you think about the opportunities that we have had. And, and certainly one of the highlights of my career was being at Illinois State. Um, that community is so Redbird oriented um, and so supportive of the Redbirds. Uh, and the community itself, uh, just, they just opened their arms to us. And, and we, we enjoyed that five years um, and in Bloomington representing Illinois State University as much as anything in my career. And I, and I loved every position that I had uh, during my career. You know, the, the beauty of what I was able to do uh, professionally uh, and, and people talk about the time that it takes and every weekend is filled. And one time I counted the number of weekends during the year that I had absolutely no responsibilities. <laughs> there, there, there were four weekends uh, during wow. the whole year that, that I didn't have to do something associated with my job. But I, I loved it. Uh, it. It wasn't that I didn't want to do it at all. I thoroughly enjoyed what I was doing. And the beauty of what I got to do was that my family was involved. Uh, when I was coaching, they came to all of my games. Uh, when I was an athletic director, they came to most of the games with me. So if I had been a banker or whatever, a car salesman or whatever, they wouldn't have been able to do that. So yeah. um, we're, we're fortunate today to have 10 grandchildren and all of them love going to the games with it. It's a rarity that I go to a game without at least one. And, and <laughs> at the baseball tournament this weekend, um, the Super Regionals, I think we had seven of them there. So it's just, uh, I would not, I cannot think of another profession that I would have enjoyed as much, mainly uh, it was athletics and I thor thoroughly enjoy that but more importantly because our family was a, a part of it and i love that part of it that is awesome great thank you ron wellman for being on thank you for being our athletic director and uh so with this this is the end of episode 39 of bird fans forever john hit an applause yes. <laughs> all right